the week two of this new series, uh, and I do want to welcome our online audience because we've got a great online audience that follows us. But we're in week two of this series. Who was here last week? Uh, okay, anybody? Tell me, how do we save in the name of this series? Hi-ya. Oh, come on, say it with some movie enthusiasm. What? Hi-ya. Hi-ya. It's the Greek word for, or Hebrew word for revive. If you wonder what does that mean, here's what it means to live, to cause to live, to stir up or rekindle as a fire, to recover from a state of neglect, obscurity, or depression, to refresh with joy or hope. Now, give me what this, say that with me again. Hi, yeah, I need some hope restored. I need some joy restored. Paul, any other Ohio State fans, you need some hope. Joy restored to you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ride that till I can't ride it anymore. Hey, listen, don't even get me started. Don't get me started. Uh, but uh, there's this channel on, on uh, the networks called the ID channel. Anybody familiar with it? It stands for investigative discovery. Uh, it's got shows like uh, Fear Thy Roommate. Come on now. Um, the murder tapes in pursuit with John Walsh and one called Homicide Hunter. But there's one show called The Missing. This show is dedicated to them finding or finding out what happened to people that just came up missing. Don't know where they went, don't know what happened to them. And so I am convinced that a lot of people, yes, even Christians, walking around this world, walking around through life, and they are missing their identity. And most don't even know it's been taken from them. They're walking around with a fake ID. Come on, anybody know what's fake identity? It's, it's not you that's on that. It's, and we walk around with these things that have been put on us and told us this is who you are. And there are going to be two questions I believe Jesus will ask every person in this room. I believe one of those questions is this. Who are you? Who are you? The second question I believe he'll ask is this. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? There's a movie, man, that came out in 2008 that at its core was about identity. Anybody see the movie Black Panther? Come on. Great. If you have not seen it, it is a great movie. It is uh, different from any other superhero movie. I, Jacob, I can't believe you've not seen Black Panther. Huh? 2018. 18. Man, you're paying close attention today. 2018. Who's seen that Black Panther? Yeah. So, uh, but it's based on a Marvel Comics character by that name. It was originally created by the great Stan Lee. And uh, Jack Kirby, uh, uh, Black Panther made his first appearance in a Marvel comic in 1966 as the first black superhero in mainstream comics. Now, if you've not seen the movie, Denise, Denise was like, uh, she said, "Listen, if you don't see the, if not seen the movie, a lot of those names, stay with me. I'm going to give you a, a very brief synopsis of uh, of this movie and some of the important things in it." Um, You've got a gay guy named T'Challa. He is the crown prince of where? Wakanda. Come on, you got to say it with an attitude. 
He's the crown prince of Wakanda, and, and he is played by the late uh, Chaz, Chaz, Chadwick Boseman. And so you'll see through this, he is constantly challenged for the throne. This is in case you were wondering. Chadwick Boseman, the T'Challa. His first challenge that we see in the movie is by Mbaku. He is a leader of the Jabari tribe. And on the day of his coronation, Umbaku shows up to challenge him at Warrior Falls. He is a, Umbaku is a strong leader among the people, but he doesn't feel that T'Challa holds the same, um, same uh, traditions or values that they hold. So he wants to challenge him from the throne. Well, uh, T'Challa ends up winning the battle. We're going to come back to that battle before long. But before he can even enjoy this victory, this guy shows up. Same day, same moment. His nickname is Killmonger. This guy here is played by Michael B. Jordan. And I have a lot of people, when, I, when I'm out at the beach or out at the pool with my shirt off, they confuse me from here down with Michael B. Jordan. I know, I, I wear big clothes just to, come on, to keep it covered up. Um, but of course, that, that's, y'all are laughing way too hard at that joke. But of course, in the movie, you learn about why Killmonger is who he is and what he does. He grew up as an orphan in a poverty and racially charged Oakland, California. He carries a lot, a lot of anger and pain over the death of his father. He, he channels that anger and pain into becoming this incredible black ops soldier. And that's where he gets, he gets so many kills that he, they nickname him Killmonger. And Killmonger sets into motion some events that are leading up to, to this next battle. He, he, he hunts down this wanted war criminal, this wanted criminal, brings this criminal's body back on coronation day, throws it out there, and is if to say, hey guys, I've been gone, but guess who's back? I'm back in town. He proceeds then to challenge T'Challa for the crown and for the throne. Well, he, 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 he no, nobody, uh, not only does uh, T'Challa defeat, or uh, Killmonger defeat T'Challa that day, he kills one of their leaders, uh, Zuri. He then takes T'Challa's presumably dead body, throws it over Warrior Falls. And, and then before he, as he begins uh, to get ready to wreak havoc and revenge, uh, T'Challa's body is recovered at the bottom of the falls by Umbaku and the Jabari tribe. Now, of course, this is leading, everything is leading up to this ultimate showdown between T'Challa and Killmonger. Now, if you know the movie, how was that for a brief summary of what the movie was about? That's, that's pretty good. All right, so let's move on. The rest of the message has nothing to do with that movie. I just like it. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. At the very core of this movie, it's about identity. Knowing, knowing who you are. Which brings us back to that first question, who are you? 
I mean, throughout the movie, the question gets asked to people over and over and over. If you were to ask that to me, I could answer it a couple different ways. Hey, uh, who are you? I'm Kelly Goins. I'm husband to Denise. I am father to April, Kennedy, Gunner, Sheridan, and Zion. I am Papa to Eliana, Ezra, Juno, and Sonny. Uh, I, I'm a brother. I'm a pastor. I'm a son. I'm a friend. I'm extremely good looking and funny. Uh, all those things would be true. Uh, that surface. What if I went a little deeper? Kelly, who are you? Well, I'm insecure, ill-equipped, unqualified, a reject, an addict, a misfit. I'm lonely, broken. I'm lost. See, on the surface, we could portray all these things. But what's deeper? What's the deeper thing? The second quest, question you'll be forced to answer. Who do you say that I am? That's what Jesus said. Because it's the same question that Jesus asked his disciples. In Matthew 16, it opens up with the Pharisees and Sadducees kind of coming to Jesus. Hey, listen, prove to us who you are. Do a sign. Do a miracle. Come on, Jesus. And, and Jesus, like, he, he pretty much gives them a, 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 a huge rebuke, a great rebuke if you read it. And, and then a couple of verses later, you can kind of tell this is still heavy on Jesus' mind. Because Jesus then began, gives the disciples a warning. Hey, watch out. Beware of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They're going to try to infect you. They're going to try to get in you. Then down in thir verse 13, they're all sitting around the fire talking and I think this is still, them said, prove us, prove to us, Jesus, who you are. Because Jesus looked at his disciples and says, hey, guys, um, who do people say that I am? What's the word on the street about who I am? And they were like, oh, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say Jeremiah or some other prophet. And, and then Jesus like, you know what? Who do you say I am? Because that's what's important. It's not what other people. Who, who do you say that I am? And that will be a question that we will be forced to ask. And the thing is, there are those here today, you need a reviving in your identity, a high eye in your identity because you've forgotten who you really are. And the thing is this, who I am flows out of knowing whose I am. Who I am, that flows out of knowing whose I am. Some of you have forgotten who you are and whose you are. You've allowed others to define you. You've allowed addictions to define you. Your past to define you. Divorce to define you. A failure somewhere along the line to define you. And I believe that God has got you here to remind you who you are. Who you are. What I do, how I live, flows out of who I am. If that's the case, then my actions are a byproduct of who I think I am. Are you hearing me? And I believe there are three weapons. I believe the enemy is after our identity. Uh, I, I believe, and I didn't even say this at 9 a.m. Do you know that the enemy went after Jesus' identity? I mean, he did. He, do, you, do you remember the scene where uh, Jesus was baptized by John? And, and, then, and then the first thing, Jesus hadn't done anything. But then this voice said, hey, behold, my son, 
I'm well pleased in you. My, you're my, God will say, you're my son. I'm well pleased with you. Right after that, it says the spirit led him into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. And the enemy said, oh, if you're the son of God, do this. If you're the, and he questioned his identity. And I, and I believe the enemy is after and trying to at least get you to question your identity. And I believe there's three weapons. The first weapon he will use, if you're taking notes, is this. Soul wounds. Soul wounds. Best definition I've got of a soul wound is this. A soul wound is a deep inner sense that there's a core part of you that is unlovable, unacceptable, and unwanted. It's a belief that there's this part of you that just doesn't measure up. And if people really knew you, if they could see past the facade and the mask you wear, they would walk away from you and reject you. See, while a soul wound cannot be seen with the human eye, it's something down deep that we internalize. We think about these hurts. We think about these things. And, and, and it can happen throughout different stages of your life. But a lot of times, soul wounds are attached to us as children. That's what happened to Killmonger. As a child, I mean, some things happened. A soul wound was inflicted on him, and it haunted him and reminded him for the rest of his life. Here's the thing. Rejection, not even rejection, perceived rejection is one of the greatest weapons that the enemy uses to inflict a soul wound. Rejection, perceived rejection, that we're unwanted, that we're unloved, we're unappreciated, we're abandoned, abused, mistreated, especially when it comes from those that should have loved us and watched out for us. They leave soul wounds, soul wounds. They can be inflicted by a parent. They can be uh, inflicted by a sibling, a step-parent, a teacher, a spouse, an ex-spouse, a boss, a pastor even. Appear, even someone online can inflict these soul wounds. It can be inflicted by bullying. It can be inflicted by verbal and physical abuse or sexual abuse. And here's why we're talking about this. Because it is one of the biggest weapons that the enemy uses to steal and take your identity. See, while the pain uh, of these things are very real, it's not the pain in and of itself of these things that happen or were said to you that keeps you stuck. It's how the enemy gets you to interpret the pain or interpret what happened to you. That's what keeps you stuck. He's an expert of taking advantage of soul wounds and, and, and hurting our lives by lying to us about what happened and why it happened. I'll give you some examples. For instance, if, if as a child, one of your parents walked out on you, they decided it doesn't matter if it had anything to do with you. They decided, hey, I'm tired of being a parent. Or they chose something else over being a parent. What the enemy likes to do is come in and whisper in your ear, it's all your fault. If you had been a better son, if you had been a better daughter, if you had been a better child, they would have stayed. This is because of you. And the enemy gets you to try to buy into that lie because in that moment, if you agree with the lie, even though you may not even be aware of the lies being spoken, what it does, it creates an open door for the enemy to work against you. Another one, if someone is being sexually molested or abused, here's what the enemy will come and do to you. 
You deserve that. You set yourself up for this. You shouldn't have been where you were when you were there. And he begins to lie to us about the reason. And if we buy into the lie, I'm telling you, it creates a foothold and an open door that the enemy will use against you for the rest of your life. But I love the promise from, uh, that comes from the Psalm 147.3. God heals the wounds of every shattered heart. The second weapon that I believe the enemy uses against us, this is a biggie, core lies. Core lies. Lying is... Satan's weapon of choice. He is really good at it. In fact, Jesus doesn't hold, hold any punches when he talks about uh, his in the Satan and the lies. He says this in John 8, 44. He's been a murderer right from the start. He never stood with the truth for he's full of nothing but lies. Lying is his native tongue. He is a master of deception and the father of lies. Why is that his go-to weapon? Whispering lies into us. Whispering things in our mind. Because the battles that you face, the biggest battles you will ever go through are right here. Right here. And if he can get in there, come on. Here's what core lies are. They're inaccurate facts. See, what the enemy does, he likes to take a little bit of the truth and then sprinkle it with a lot of lies. And they're inaccurate facts. They're lies that attack and they undermine your true identity. They're lies that Satan uses to keep you from becoming the man and the woman that God created and redeemed you to be. And there are these lies. Core lies are these things that we believe that they, and they occupy these because what we do, oh, I don't want to, I can't go to church. It's funny to me that COVID seems to be the only place that you can contract, or church seems to be the only place you can contract COVID. Can't get it at Walmart, can't get it at Dollywood, can't get it at the general store, can't get it at work. But I got to stay away from church. Generational sins. Generational dealt with in your generation. Things get handed down to us by parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, and they get so ingrained in us that they will take over and they can be so powerful at times that they'll even override our own convictions. I mean, here, it, experts will tell you this. Children who grow up in a home where filled with uncontrollable anger and that anger dominates the atmosphere, they're much more likely to develop that anger themselves. Children whose parents struggle with alcoholism or addiction seem to have a predisposition for, to battling it themselves. Children who grow up in families where deceit or lies are commonplace usually end up having, tr having a problem telling the truth themselves. And I could go on and go on, but the point is, is these things have a way of following us into adulthood. You ever said something or thought something and you're like, where did that even come from? Or somebody said, man, when you said that, you look just like your dad. You look just like your mom. I have people tell me that almost, almost on a weekly basis. But Kelly, you look just like you're getting more and more like your dad. And, or or have, you, have you ever looked at the way your parents or somebody was living and you thought, I will never be that way. 
I will never do that. I will never fall into that. Only to find yourself knee deep in it yourself. I'm telling you. It's almost like dysfunction gets hardwired into us. And it goes on year after year, generation after generation, until somebody decides, hey, enough is enough. I'm going to break free from this. I'm not about to pass this down to my kids nor my grandkids. I'm telling you, at some point, you're going to have to answer the question, which do I love more, my sin or my son? My sin or my daughter? What do I love more? And do I love what I'm doing more and, and really don't care in the moment that I'm probably going to pass this down to them? Or am I willing to take a stand and say, hey, it stops with me. It stops with me. And see, it's not enough to try to just keep it hidden or out of sight thinking I can manage it. Come on. How many have tried to manage the monster and it managed you? I'm telling you, you can't. You say, I'm not just going to manage the suffering, the shame, the guilt, the addiction. No, you have to say, no, all this junk, it stops here and now. And I know that passage can seem unfair. Hey, I lay the sins upon the parents, their kids, third and fourth generation, but don't miss what he ends with. But I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I may punish third and fourth generation. But he says, I'm going to show unfailing love not to the ninth, tenth, eleventh generation, to a thousand generations. If you're stuck in a pattern or a cycle or an addiction or some brokenness or dysfunction, God wants you to be set free. Are you hearing me? He doesn't want you this way. He wants you to be set free. And the thing is, if we are, if we develop these strongholds one lie at a time, here's the good news. We can be set free by one of God's truth one at a time. We can be set free. <laughs> Kelly, how? How do I do it? Listen, let me, let me take some of the pressure. It's not about doing more, working harder, being more disciplined. Here's what it's about. It's about receiving what's already been done for you. Martin Luther, he called this the great exchange. He said this, here's the great exchange. On the cross, Jesus exchanged his perfection for our imperfection, his obedience for our disobedience, his strength for our weakness, his intimacy with the Father for our distance from God the Father, his blessing for our curse, his righteousness for our sin, his wholeness for our brokenness, and his life for our death. It's not about doing more. It's about receiving what Jesus has already done. He's done. If you've been around here long, you've heard me say this. You want to spell religion? It's not spelled R-E-L-I-G-I-O-N. Spelled D-O. Do. Do this. Do that. Do this. Do that. You want to spell relationship with Christ? It's spelled D-O-N-E. It's been done. Everything needed has been done. Done. Jesus took our identity, guys. Whatever that identity is, whether it's sinner, whether it's divorcee, broken, abandoned, victim, he took our identity so we could take on his identity. 
But Kelly, you don't know what I've done. You don't know the places I've been. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what's happened to me. You're right, I don't. I only know where I've been, what I've done, and the stupid things I've said and done. But there's a great promise, Matt, in Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. He says this, forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. That's 18. I'm convinced a lot of people, your own worst enemy is your past that keeps coming back and telling you who you are. I'm reading a great book right now by Mark Batterson called Win the Day. He says the problem with most people is they forget what they need to remember and remember what they should forget. He says, close the books. How about, how about guys, we close the books on 2020? It's a done deal. Let's take it a step farther, Jack. Let's close the book on the last decade and quit going back to see what was written about us back then. Come on, let's close the books on that. Because I can tell you this, God is a lot more interested in your future than he ever is in your past. He's far more concerned with your future. God is not out there wanting to remind you of all your failures, mistakes, stupid decisions you've made. He's, listen, he's not even interested in you reliving your good old glory days. He's interested in your future. Where do you go from here? Verse 19, look, look what he says. Be alert. Be present. I love this. I'm about to do something brand new. Some of you are like, Kelly, I don't need to recover my identity. I need a brand new identity. Can I tell you, God's wanting to do something brand new in you, for you. He said, I'm, I'm doing something brand new. It's bursting forth. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the wilderness and rivers in the dry wasteland, badlands. You've been walking around. Some of you have been walking around in the wilderness trying to find your way. And God says, what I'm about to do, I'm about to take my large machete and I'm about to cut away and show you a path through this wilderness. Not only that, some of you have been dry and desperate for so long. I'm about to send so much rain that a river's going to be formed in the dry lands, in the wastelands. And there's coming refreshing. There's coming direction. There's coming a, a place where you will get back and experience God like you never have before. Listen, some of you, hear me, learn from your past, but refuse to live there. Are you hearing me? Don't let your past tell you who you are or who you are not. Neil Anderson said this, no person can consistently behave in a way that is inconsistent with the way he perceives himself. If you perceive yourself a sinner and addict, guess how you're going to act? If you perceive yourself as worthless, guess how your, your actions are going to show. And the enemy loves for you to perceive yourself in a way other than what God sees you. Who are you? Who are you? There's a great scene in this movie, Black Panther, where T'Challa and Baku's fighting. 
Be ready with that video back there. And in fact, it's in a light. In fact, me trying to explain it to you, let me just show you what happens. No powers! No claws! No special suitor! Just a boy! Not fit to Some of you want to see the rest of the fight scene. He ends up defeating M'Baku. But the pivotal moment, he's getting beat to a pulp. And his mom says, show him who you are. And I love it. He gets stabbed right there in the shoulder of that spear. He grabs that spear and says, I'm T'Challa, son of King T'Chaka. Some of you, The enemy has been trying to tell you who you are and you're walking around bleeding with open wounds and you need to stop and say, I am Kelly. I am social child of the most high God. That's who you need to say. Did you hear Umbaku when he had them? He said, no strength, no power, nothing special. You're just a boy. That's what the enemy has been screaming in some of yours here, your ears. Nothing special, nothing powerful. You're less than. You're just a little boy, a little girl that can't do anything. And hear your father scream at you today. Show him who you are. Show him who you are. You're not, listen. Some of you, you've allowed the enemy to whisper things in your ear. And you're living it out. You're living it out. I'm going to tell you, man, the enemy tried to tell me who I was for years. When I was 18, I had a full ride to to school. A music scholarship. And at 18, I went to school and decided about halfway through the semester... I'm going to drop out and get married. At 20, I was divorced. Well, if you know anything about the church of God and the part of the organization we were part of, divorce, your life, your career in ministry was over. And I knew, I was like, okay, I might as well just get out of here. I'm done. Took off to California. Where I decided, you know what? If I can't do that, I'm just going to throw my life away. I'm just going to throw it into what I'm doing here. I'll never forget between that time and when I came back uh, for good, came back to to, uh, help my brother Stephen, who was in Team Talent, uh, this talent competition. He wanted me to come in and play keys for him. Came in, and I remember walking through the halls of this church, this big church down in Chattanooga. And I could hear, and, and I had jet black hair, I mean, down. Four earrings in each ear. I mean, it was, uh, I was a good looking man. Um, 
That's why that's how my wife met me. And she thought, I've got to tame the beast. Uh, but I remember walking through the halls and hearing them whispers. Isn't that Kelly Goins? Didn't he used to minister? What happened to him? And I let those lies for a year just tell me who I am. You're a divorcee. You're an alcoholic. You're, you're an embarrassment to your mom and dad who pastor that church in that little town. You can't go back. And there are others, man, you're listening to a lie the enemy is telling you. There's some in here, and I feel it so strong. There are those in here. You've had an abortion. And the enemy has lied to you and said, if that ever gets out, no one will accept you. No one will ever want you. Hide it. Hide away. And the Father's here to tell you, you are my daughter. You're my daughter. Take back your identity. You're a daughter. There's some here, you've battled addiction. And the enemy has lied to you. You've believed it. I'm an addict. I'll always be an addict. This is the way it is. This is the way it's going to be. And that lie has been portrayed and thrust upon you to where it's become your truth. And God says, take back your identity. Take back your identity. I'm wanting to give it to you. I'm just waiting for you to stop and quit believing the, lie, the lies that the enemy is trying to thrust upon you. Who are you? See, everything in life flows from how we answer that question. How we respond to people, how we act. What is your identity? See, the thing right after he wins that, that battle with uh, Mbaku, that's when Killmonger shows up. Right after that. Here's what I'm saying. Don't think the battle for your identity will be a one and done thing. Your identity will be challenged regularly. Your identity will be challenged when you're out there having a good day and you end up blowing it, cussing somebody, flipping somebody off, or doing something, and the enemy will whisper, oh, nice Christian you are. Come on, you've heard it. It's challenging your identity. It'll challenge your identity. Even in this fast, you set out to fast, and then one day you decide, you know what? I'm going to have Cheetos. I'm going to have ice cream. What at the same time? What he's going to do? What the enemy's going to do is, oh, God's so disappointed in you. You've blown it. You might as well just quit. Give up the fast. McDonald's sounds really good right now. Come on, come on. Let's go get, let's go get a double cheeseburger. Plus, it's a lot cheaper to eat unhealthy than it is healthy. Come on. I'm trying to save you money. And the enemy lies. And addicts know how the enemy can work. You've had a good streak. A few weeks, a few months of being clean. Then you drop the ball. 
and the enemy whispers in your ear. I knew you couldn't do it. I knew you'd fall. You knew you'd fall. You knew you'd fail. This is who you are. It's who, man, you can't be any other way. This is you. I couldn't tell you. He is a liar. And you need to tell him to shut the hell up because that's all it is. That's all it is. That's all it is. It is lies from the pit of hell. He's trying to convince you so he can keep you stuck. And he'll tell you you're a failure. You're beyond reach. Here's my question. What are you going to believe today? When you walk through those doors, who will you be? Who will you be? Because the opportunity God has given you today is to recover the identity God gave you. Stand with me across this place.